right. Good morning, everybody. All right. My name is Alex. I am one of the elders here at Common Ground, uh, and I get the privilege two, three times a year to come up here and uh, go through God's word with y'all. So um, for those that don't know me, um, Mary, that's my wife over there, and one of our kids, we've got three kids, um, and the first two came pretty normal, right? It was, um, it was pretty standard, go to the hospital, you're in there for a little while, you go through the labor, doctor shows up, and you know, eh, it's about time, all right, push, and we, we had a baby, it was great. Third one, <laughs> third one was a little different, so... I promised my wife I would be kind to her in this. So um, anyways, it's, you know, third one. We're hitting nine months here. It's about 2, 2 o'clock in the morning, something like that. And she wakes me up and I think, think this is it. I think this is happening here. So, okay, we have kind of a routine at this point. So I get in the shower. I get showered, get kind of ready to go. I get out and she jumps in the shower. And five minutes later, she comes out and she's like, think this is happening now. Like, like we need to go. Luckily, we had already called her parents. They were on their way up. And so she gets dressed. Her parents show up just, at the, just then. We hop in the car. She's in the back, basically, just trying to survive. Um, and I get from the south end of Indian Hills all the way up to Carson Tahoe in like sub 10 minutes. Um, so, I, I mean, it was like 3.30 in the morning. You come up to a red light, you look a little bit, and it's clear, I'm going, right? Um, jump on the freeway, you know, just flying down the freeway to get there. And um, So anyways, we get there, we get out of the car, and there's a, another woman that's entering the, the emergency room, and she kind of hears my wife. And uh, I, like I said, I'm gonna be kind, so we won't go into the details here, but. Here's my wife and goes, I, I know what those noises are, right? So she runs in, she gets a wheelchair, brings it out. We get up to the uh, delivery room and like less than five minutes later, we've got a brand new little bundle of joy. Um, so, I mean, it was like narrowly made it. Um, and he has kept us on our toes ever since. Um, now, we often refer to these little kids as, you know, it's a little miracle. It's this tiny little miracle, right? I'm going to be kind of a curmudgeon here. Um, they're not miracles. It's biology. It, it just, man, woman, get married, they have a kid, birds and the bees, all that, right? This isn't that talk, so don't worry. <laughs> but, you know, other than a few kind of odd circumstances here and there where maybe people weren't able to conceive, they had trouble getting pregnant, you know, that... That we can classify as a miracle, but the, the baby itself wasn't really the miracle, right? The miracle was that God worked in something that was preventing somebody from getting pregnant, and then that got healed by God. There was a miracle, and they had a baby, right? But I'm still just a joyless curmudgeon here to ruin the joy of all parents. So, um, but in all seriousness, like, so I, like I said, my wife and I, we have three kids, and um, we, it, there's a joy that comes when that, that baby comes out, right? And it's something that you can't explain. It, it's just, it's so much bigger than really anything else that you can think of. And so I think the reason we call it a miracle is because we're, we're looking for a word that's kind of beyond what we can explain, that's beyond our understanding. And miracle kind of fits that, right? And so we're gonna look today 
at the next part of the Apostles' Creed here. If you guys haven't figured it out yet, um, we are going to be looking at the virgin birth. Um, so last week, Ben took us through the point right before that, which is, who is Jesus? Jesus Christ, our Lord, and he walked us through that. So now we are looking at how did Jesus come into the world? So it is, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So that's going to be our focus here today. Now, if you all can turn to Luke 1, we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 38 here. While you turn there, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this time to be together, Lord, to, to worship you, to look at the miracle of you coming into this world, um, the miracle of life coming where there was no chance of life, and at the end of your life, the miracle of life coming to death. Um, God, I just pray that as we go through this today, you would open up our hearts to recognize that you work in the impossible. God, give us hope, give us faith in this, and uh, just bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So Luke 1, we're looking at 26 through 38 here. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Yes, amen. Um, so in these verses, we, we see two pregnancies in here. We see Mary and we see Elizabeth. Now, again, kind of going back to what I was talking about before, Elizabeth's pregnancy, there, there was a miracle there, right? But it wasn't the conception. The miracle was that she was barren, and then later on in her life, her and her husband were able to have a child, right? There was still a man and a woman, and there was biology. But then we look at Mary's pregnancy, and this is just plain impossible. This is, there, there was no man, there was no way for this to happen, and yet, we see a pregnancy here. Now, I'm not preaching a Christmas sermon today. We'll save that for, for in December. But what I do want to focus on today is verse 37. 
the angel responds to Mary as, as Mary questions, like, how in the world is this going to happen? That's a legit question. How in the world can this happen? And the angel responds to her, nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary's pregnancy defies all laws of nature. It defies biology. It defies the world as we know it. So one of three things happens here. And we have to make a choice on what this is. First one is either Mary's lying and there really was a man involved and this is just biology. The second one, Mary's crazy and there really was a man involved and this is just biology. The third it's really true. Mary is pregnant, and there is no man involved. This is not biology. This is a miracle that there is a baby here. Now, in modern Christianity, kind of especially in the West, we tend to want to dismiss a lot of the, the miracle portions of Scripture. You know, we want to look at the, the forgiveness. We want to look at the love. And these are all great things, and they're true, and they're in Scripture, but... Scripture is very clear. Miracles happen. This pregnancy was a miracle. Mary was a virgin and gave birth. And you see the focus on this in this early creed. The, the early church leaders made a point of pointing this out. This is also in multiple gospels. This is very important to the early church to affirm that Jesus was born of a virgin. And what they're doing is they're pointing out a couple of, of items here. There are two things that kind of come to my mind that, that we want to focus on in this. The first one is when we say that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, we are affirming that Jesus is both fully God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, he is fully God, and he is fully human. He was born of a girl. This confronts a lot of the early heresies that were happening in the church. A lot of the early heresies within the church really surrounded the question of, who is Jesus? Who is this? Was he just God and kind of like took on a, a human look? Or was he actually human? Was he fully God? Or was he just a human who had wisdom? And this in here confronts those heresies by saying, yes, he is both. He is fully God. He is fully man. The second thing that they're pointing out here is that exactly what the angel said to Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. If I'm going to confess this creed and say that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, I am saying that nothing will be impossible with God. And I want to focus really on, on the second one, like I was saying. We're going to focus on that verse 37. But, but I want both those points to be out there because denial of the first, denial of Jesus being both fully God and fully man stems from an unbelief in the second, a dismissal of the idea that nothing is impossible with God. So the first point in your handout there is if we dismiss the virgin birth because it sounds too weird, then we dismiss even the idea of God. Accepting that Jesus is fully man 
conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary requires a belief that God truly is God, that he is all-powerful, that he exists outside of science and biology and time, that he established all of these things, that science, biology, time, all of these things that we see around us exist because God spoke them forth, that he was there before, that he is the creator of all, that he made a man out of the dust, so why can't he make a man in Mary's womb? And so, as we look at this, what, what I want you guys to be thinking about here is that if you think that the idea of the virgin birth is ridiculous or it's something that we can just kind of sweep under the rug, and just kind of ignore, you really got to throw out the whole rest of it. You may as well just throw out all the scripture at that point. And one of the big reasons there is your salvation, that too is a miracle. So the core concept of, of salvation in Christianity is that we were once spiritually dead and now we are alive. So you see through this that the Holy Spirit brings physical life. He also brings spiritual life. And so the same miracle that occurred in Mary is the same miracle that if you have placed your faith in Jesus occurred in you. We're going to go through a few verses just to illustrate this point here. So... You don't need to turn to all these. We'll have them up on the screen here. But Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, 1 through 6. Some of you guys may know this one from uh, Vacation Bible School. Sang a song about it. But um, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them. And behold... There was very many of them on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O oh Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So this vision that Ezekiel has in here that this is talking about, this is God is illustrating to Ezekiel the state of the Israelites. They were in disobedience to God and God's telling Ezekiel they're dead. They are spiritually dead. And not just like they just flatlined or something like that. They are a valley of dry bones. There is no potential for life there. It is done. But then you see God talk to Ezekiel and tells him to prophesy over these dry bones. And one of the phrases he says in there is, Behold, I will cause breath to enter them. And this word for breath is the Hebrew word ruach. And it can be translated as breath or wind or spirit. You see it translated as all three of those throughout the Old Testament. And I find this interesting because we're going to see as we go into the New Testament too that they use a Greek word that can be translated as breath or wind or spirit. But this is interesting because it, what they're pointing out here is that you never see the wind, right? You never actually see wind. You see its effects, 
you see the leaves blowing, you see the trees bending, you feel it pulling on your shirt when it's really windy. So you never see it, but you see its effects. And it's similar with the spirit. You don't see the spirit, but you see the impact of the spirit around you. If you know Jesus, you've felt the spirit's impact. I know for me, I was saved later on in life. I was 19, and there was a moment where I know the Holy Spirit entered me. Not everybody has that experience. I'm not saying if you don't have that experience, you're not saved here, so let's be clear on that. But we know when the Holy Spirit is present, we see lives changed. We see healing, both spiritually and physically. We know when the Spirit is present, but we don't see it. And there's a very similar concept that comes in there. The next verse we're going to look at in the Old Testament is Isaiah 42.1. It says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So the word in here for spirit is that same word, ruach. He's using this, or the Old Testament, Isaiah's using the same word that Ezekiel was using here. The spirit will come upon him. This is actually a prophecy pointing to Jesus as he comes later on in life. The Holy Spirit conceiving Jesus in the womb of Mary. It also points to when Jesus is baptized and the dove comes down, the Holy Spirit will be upon him. But we see here in both of these, the Spirit brings life. The Spirit all through Scripture is associated with bringing life. You see this in the Old Testament in a very physical sense. Now we're going to jump forward a little bit into the New Testament here and see how this same phrase is used. So John 7, 38 to 39 says, whoever, and this is Jesus speaking, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now notice here, it's talking about rivers of living water. Life will pour forth, and it's all from the Spirit. And the word used in the New Testament for Spirit is pneuma. It's uh, the same word that we get like pneumatic from. So if anybody has a, a, any air tools in their garage, you know, they're pneumatic tools powered by air. But it's the same idea. It's the wind, it's air, it's, it's the Spirit that you don't see but you very much see its effects. And so you see all through the Bible, the Holy Spirit is acknowledged as the source of life. And there's, I had a ton of other verses in here and I just had to trim it down at some point, but it, you see it over and over and over. The Spirit bringing life where there was none. Now, if we go back to our verses for today, we look at Luke 1, verse 35. And this is immediately after, after Mary asked the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answers and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
So this is part of that fulfillment of that Isaiah verse earlier on. And we see the Holy Spirit bringing life. Where there was no potential for life, the Holy Spirit worked and there was life. Now, I do want to clarify one thing here. Um, as we've talked about, the, the Apostles' Creed was meant to clarify things. It was a confession. And so I do want to clarify one thing here, and that is the eternality of Jesus. So when we talk about life beginning in here, we are talking about Jesus' human life. His humanity begins at 0 AD. But Jesus has existed always. Jesus is eternal. So you have Jesus spiritually for all eternity, and then his humanity begins then. And you see this um, in multiple areas. Jesus affirms it himself. In John 8, 58, he's talking to the, disciple, or to the um, scribes and the Pharisees, and he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And there's a lot packed into that verse right here that we can't go through today. But when Jesus says, I am, he is referring to God's Old Testament name of Yahweh. He is saying, I am God. I have existed always. Before Abraham, this guy that you, you love and you put on a pedestal, and, and, and Abraham was amazing, right? I'm not, not downplaying Abraham and his role in Israel. But Jesus is above that. Jesus was there before Abraham. In John 1, 1 through 2, the very beginning he says, in the beginning was the word. And when he says word, he's referring to Jesus here. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So I want to clarify, when we say Jesus was born, Jesus' life began, we are talking about Jesus' human life, his humanity. He took on flesh at 0 AD, but has existed always. So that was a little, little side note there. But coming back to our, our main point here, we're looking at the Holy Spirit and his ability to give life. One other place where he gives life, if we fast forward to the end of Jesus's, well, <laughs> got to clarify that one too, but if we fast forward to Jesus's death on the cross here and we look at he is buried in the tomb and then the, on Sunday, the disciples come, and in Luke 24, 5, they run into an angel. They don't see Jesus' dead body in the tomb. They see an angel, and the angel says to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. This is the Holy Spirit at work again. So you had one miracle at the beginning of Jesus' humanity, you had life coming where there was no potential for life. And then you have another miracle at the end here. Life where there was death. And you see this affirmed all throughout scripture. He appears to many of his disciples over the following weeks. Paul even says he, he appeared to 500 people at one time and that many of them were still alive. Paul's trying to say in that, like, go talk to them. Like, this is real. He's saying this is you can actually go and talk to witnesses, people who saw Jesus die and then saw him alive again. The spirit was working there too. He, the spirit was bringing life. 
And this is, uh, if you look kind of in Christian apologetics, there, there is a term in here, a Latin term, that's uh, ex nihilo nihil fit. And what that means is out of nothing comes nothing. And what the point of that is, is that there had to be some sort of first cause. There has to be something outside of what we see in front of us. Otherwise, nothingness is just going to keep producing nothingness. So God is that first cause. God is that cause outside of everything else. And so when there is death, the Holy Spirit brings a heartbeat. When there is no potential for life, the Holy Spirit brings life. When there's just a bunch of dust on the ground, God forms it into a man and breathes into him. So out of nothing comes everything because God is there creating So we've hit two, two miracles here, the conception and then the resurrection. But there's one other miracle that's seen all throughout Scripture where God brings death from life. Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Notice again in this verse, the spirit bringing life. You again see an affirmation that this is what the spirit does. When the spirit's at work, there is life and there is life to the fullest. Jesus refers to it as abundant life. And when we say abundant life, we're not talking about health and wealth and all these things. We're talking about you're full. Your life is, it feels complete. And when we see the spirit working here, this miracle is referring to us. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has brought life where there was nothing but death previously. Spiritually, we were that valley of dry bones before the Holy Spirit came on us. No potential, nothing. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells and there is life. And we see this, this theme in scripture where, where it often uses the physical to talk about the spiritual. We see Jesus talk about the sower, scattering seed and it falls on the different soils but he's really referring to spiritual things in this. But what we see in here is that the Holy Spirit works in both of them. I think the best illustration of this is um, when Jesus was, was walking around to these different villages and everybody was coming to see him because they knew something big was going on. There are these guys who brought a paralytic to Jesus and they, they couldn't quite get to Jesus because the crowds and they were just so desperate to get to him. They dug a hole in the roof and lowered him down into there. And Jesus sees the faith and he turns to the paralytic and in front of all the Pharisees and the scribes and all the people, he says, your sins are forgiven. And everybody's kind of standing there like, we thought you were just going to heal this guy. He'd like get up and walk away. And the Pharisees are looking at him like, oh, hey, hey, you don't get to do that. That is God. God forgives sins. God works in the spiritual world. What are you doing? And Jesus turns to them and says, which is easier, to tell somebody their sins are forgiven or to tell them to 
get up and walk away because they've been, been healed. And he says, but that, so that you know that the kingdom of God is here at hand. And he turns to the guy, tells him, get up and walk. And this man who has been paralyzed for we don't know how long gets up, takes his pallet, and walks out. Jesus just worked in the spiritual and the physical. He brought life when he forgave sin. He brought healing when he told him to get up and walk. The spirit works in both. And so the point I want us to take away from that is you cannot talk about the salvation offered by God without talking about exactly the same concept that exists in the virgin birth. In both situations, the Holy Spirit is bringing life. We acknowledge the Holy Spirit for who he is, that he works miracles. And we see in that first one that Jesus, he came to earth. He, he got his hands dirty on a rescue mission to bring us life. He didn't have to come here as a man. He was perfectly content. We had the Holy Trinity for all eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit. But from the beginning, the plan was that God would rescue us. And that plan required Jesus to get his hands dirty, to come here as a human, to go through all the same struggles we go through. In Hebrews, it says that there is nothing, there is no temptation that Jesus did not experience that we have not experienced too, except he did it without sinning. And so he had to perform two miracles here. He had to bring life from where there was nothing and life from where there was death. And so we see that the next point there is there is no extent to which God won't go to accomplish his will. If his Holy Spirit wants to bring life, if the Holy Spirit wants to bring life, he will bring life. God can and does do the impossible. So then the question becomes, what do we do with this? What is, why does this matter? And I want to answer that by looking at Mary's response at the very end of this. And it's just an absolutely beautiful response. She goes through all this. She asks, you know, like, how is this going to happen? And the, the angel responds and says, nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary just found out that the impossible was about to happen in her life. And her response was, I'm yours. I am your servant. She recognized God for who he is. And honestly, I, I, I don't want to read too much into this, but I got to imagine there was a little bit of like, me? <laughs> like, really? Like, I'm, I'm just this Jewish girl from a small town outside of, in Israel. It, it's, it's kind of this no-name town. I'm not important. 
why me? Like, why not somebody that's, that's in Jerusalem, one of the high priests or, uh, you know, somebody like that? Why, why me? But she had a recognition that God can do the impossible. That if God chose to work in her, God was going to work in her. That if there was a part of God's mission that included her, God would give her what she needed to get through that. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's at work doing the impossible, but guess what? God doesn't work in a silo. We talk about this here a lot, so you guys have probably heard it a million times, but God works through his people, not around his people. God does the impossible through his people. And so our response should be very much like Mary's. And the next point there is, if God is the only one who can bring us life, there is nothing he can't ask of us. In asking Mary to take this on, Mary was going to become a mother itself, a massive change in her life, right? She was going to have to take on the ridicule of being pregnant out of wedlock in a society where that was not acceptable. And as all the mothers in here know, the moment you have that child, your wants, your needs, they get pushed aside for that child. That child's wants and needs become foremost. She was taking on a ton. And her response, I'm the servant of the Lord. Men, let's look at the other side of this too. Joseph. Joseph was going to walk away from this until the Lord in a dream revealed to him that, no, what Mary's telling you is true. I am at work here. He could have made few different choices there. He could have chosen in that moment to go, you know what? Nah, this, nope, not ready for this. I got my own thing. I want to, I've got to move on from this. Or he can make the choice to take on the role of being a stepfather to Jesus, to supporting Mary and Jesus in everything that they were about to go through. He had to step into that. He had to make that choice. But he knew, too, God's at work. Nothing's impossible. He made the choice to step into that. So the right response here is not a begrudging, right, I guess I'll, if I got to do this, I'll jump into it. It's a, wow, me, God? Now, I'm not, I don't do that perfect all the time. Let's just be clear about that up front. I know this is always the goal, right? We want to be joyfully jumping into all this, but it's not always easy. Sometimes you get called into things that kind of like, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know if I'm gifted for that. I don't know if I want to do that. The thing that gets us into it is a step back and recognize Nothing is impossible with God. 
So the last point on your handout, God works in the impossible. So when we feel like we're not worth it, when we feel like we can't really do that, we're not gifted in that way, when we feel like, ah, just, I, I can't do it, we remember God works in the impossible. And when we look at somebody else and we think, there's no way they can be saved. They, they are so far gone. I just, I don't see a path. I don't even know how I'd start talking to them. We remember God works in the impossible. Me, a couple months before I got saved, that would have been me looking at that. There's no way. There's no way. And then God worked in the impossible. He created ex nihilo, life where there was not life. So as we read the Apostles' Creed here to close out, I want us to remember, nothing is impossible with God. All right. So let's all stand and, and read this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the grave. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated and we will worship.